Hi everyone, welcome to episode 21 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. Again, we're recording from our base here on the Dingle Peninsula in the beautiful county of Kerry. Um, we are 21 episodes in now and we still haven't any music um, as an intro, something we, we need to get started soon. We're going to get more or less straight into it this week um, because the, the interview is, is quite long. Um, just extremely interesting so you know we we do want to cut a short um incredible journey and incredible story by you know james kennedy the, the founder and ceo of major league rugby side rugby night new york uh kennedy hails from newport and county tipperary and attended st munchkin's college in limerick he went to new york over 20 years ago and is now the ceo of his own construction company uh morphe kennedy group in 2018, Kennedy set up Rooney Rugby Unite New York with the likes of Eddie O'Sullivan and Shane Horgan as adv- advisors. Kennedy is also one of the founding members of the MLR in the States, uh, which is quite interesting. How did uh, a guy from Tipperary, you know, become involved in the formation of this and, you know, how did he set up his own uh, rugby franchise in the city that never sleeps. So hi James, welcome to the Inside View podcast. How are you keeping? I'm grand, I'm grand. How are you doing? Very good, very good. How's uh, how's everything over in New York at the moment? They're good, they're coming back, you know. Um, uh, I know uh, there's a few more people back in the city every day. Businesses are ticking up, um, leases are being signed, deals are being done, so it's just, it's going to be a few years though. It's going to take a while. It's going to be a, it's going to be a bit of a road, you know. Things will find their way back, and they are finding their way back, obviously. So, like, they definitely find their way back. Um, the communities are coming back. The the social scene has definitely been very good the last few months. The 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 startups. Uh, I, I I'd love to see and talk to the people at Bloomberg or the Economist about the number of startups they've been formed. Like, this startup culture is big right now. So, so I think like you're starting to smell that new energy, that new feeling. Now, the city has a lot to do. The city, the mayor of New York, who's not loved by anybody, myself included, has a lot to do to promote that. Um, um, we got to get young people into the city. Like 400,000 people of means have left the city, not for good, mostly temporarily, but their tax dollars have gone, which is a big problem, right? So. So there's going to be some pain in the short term, medium term, because those taxes aren't coming in, you know. But um, I think ultimately it's a it's a opportunity to reinvent for us individually and the city as a whole. So what I would like to see, and what I've seen in cities, ter- tertiary cities all over the country, is is incentivizing uh, graduates to come in, uh, uh, subsidizing accommodation, subsidizing the office space, um, uh, providing free services like uh, uh, high, high-speed broadband internet and stuff like that to promote startups. You know, I've said it for years and years and years, Germany is the strongest economy in Europe, one of the strongest economies in the world, and their average company size, their average size of their company, actually, it's actually, not, it's actually 85% of their companies are 15 employees or less. It's small companies that create economies. Not, not, yes, I can build a car factory or a tire plant or a water bottling station and create a thousand jobs. But they're jobs 
not to knock anybody that works in those jobs, but they're jobs that are jobs. Like, it's like, if I can create a business that fosters business, you know, so, yeah. So, um, if, if the, after 9-11, New York City moved very aggressively after that. Um, so 9-11 would be the, the appropriate uh, thing. So if after this, the New York City can go after that again, that would be, that would be great. Um, it would it would change it would wouldn't change the city but it would revolutionize the city. We'll bring it back to the early days. But your Tipperary man originally from Newport area and you, you played rugby with Newport and you went to school in, in Munch uh, Munchkins and you went to WIT then afterwards. Um were you always an as a lover of rugby? Lover and hater. Robbie was one of those I was really bad at hurling. Let's put it that way. I was really, I have really bad um, uh, depth perception. So, me and hurling was bad because of my hand up and the ball to be, you know, miles away. Uh, brave, but, but just didn't have, but then rugby, he's like, depth perception wasn't an issue because the bigger guys were easier to see and their goal easier to hit. So, I, I loved rugby because it was, you know, Harlan was so skillful and so precise. And then Robbie is skillful and precise. But like, I played Robbie, Jesus Christ. See, I played last year, so I'm very. I played Robbie at, a, at a, a semi high level for a few years and then a decent level for a lot more years. And no one's ever taught me how to pass a ball. <laughs> ever. <laughs> in one passing drill. No one's ever said, this is how you pass a ball. Because it's always assumed, at one level or another. Um, it's a side note, but no, but rugby's been great. And I got to New York through college, which was was my break from rugby. And uh, as a cabin man, uh, they got me here, and I was here for a year, year and a half. And I was on a job site, and this guy was working for me. And I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but he was in Torles. I remember he was in Torles, and he was like, "Jesus, James, you got a lot of aggression. You should play rugby." And I was like, "I do play rugby." And he was like. But there's no rugby in America. I said, but I'm playing for the Lansdowne in the Bronx. I don't know about you, but there's fucking rugby in America. And I was like, I'll be there tomorrow. I'll be there for the next practice. And I was at the next practice. And <laughs> the practice was, there was four people showed up. Me, Anthony O'Brien, Horatio Carzon. I can't remember the other guy. And um, four people showed up to practice. And no coaches, no nothing. Uh, we'd never rugby ball. Uh, someone had a soccer ball, so we kept that around for a while. And then... And then we had a game at the weekend, and the game, we were playing some team in Jersey, and I think we had 13 players, and we're supposed to have 15, obviously, the rules are the same, uh, but we had 13 players, and the other team gave us a player, so we played with 14, they played 15, we hockeyed them, we fucking hockeyed them, because we were all Irish guys, we'd all played, you know, and it was just, and, and there was, I remember, because playing in, in Munchen specifically, it was very serious, but this game, um, <laughs> I remember, uh, it, was, oh, it wasn't Steve, because he didn't play later, but I, remember, I, can't, I actually can't remember who the player was, but someone's like, it was, it was a scrum. And then I said, and somebody pulled out a cigarette and lit it. He's like, he's going to have a quick fag. And it was a scrum. And I was like, he's going to have a smoke of that. No, it was just, it was opposite to everything I'd been taught. Like, I'd been taught, like, it's super serious, everything's super intense. And this was just like, it's a laugh, have fun, it's grand, 
we win, we lose, who gives a fuck, you know what I mean? We happen to win a lot. Well, I mean, we always get the squad because we always have illegal players, but like, but like it didn't really matter. We, but, but I fell in love with the game. I fell in love with that part of the game, the camaraderie, the banter, the laughs. Like getting in fucking blazing fights on the field and having pints after pints with the lad you were fighting with after, it's, it's fucking huge, you know what I mean? It's like to say to a lad, just I'm really sorry I fucking punched you in the face. I just, I, t- I, I just had to. And here's the point. He's like, oh, it's Glenn, mate. It's fine. I've broken my nose before. He'll be all right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that kind of like, I, I, that thing about Robbie, you know, you, you kind of asked me about America, but like that thing about Robbie and playing Robbie and then one of these Robbie schools and being very serious all the time and, and then coming here. And then it, it's still serious when you play, but it's like the banter, the crack, the the camaraderie, the, you know, I, I remember like in 2000, maybe 2000, maybe, maybe earlier, maybe, maybe one, I, actually, one of my first games, I, we're playing out in Suffolk, which is out in Long Island. And um, um, I'm playing flanker and it's a loose ball on the ground and I go to shuffle it up to my, 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 my other flanker, Brian Singleton. So I still pass it up to him. My arms are extended. Their eight man hits me under the armpit, breaks breaks a bunch of ribs, blah blah, crushes, uh, punches along, blah blah, and whatever. Long play on the. The main story is I end up in hospital. He comes in the next day. Uh, Woody's daughters. The guy's fifty. <laughs> he's like, he's like Australian guy. He's like, Man, I'm really sorry. I just, you know, I just, I just make it. It's like, dude, it's no problem. It's like you're just making a tackle. I didn't. He didn't. I was stupid to put my arms up. Like it's like fine. I've got two lungs. So the other one's working great. It's all good, you know. But he came in. and He was so contrite, and his daughters were contrite. And I was like, there's nothing to be contrite about. Like it's like it's a fair shot, you know. I mean, like um, I don't know. It's like, and I think you lose that when it gets to the higher level. You lose that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Because it becomes so competitive, and it comes like then it matters so much more. So um, well, would you would you say that the shackles were kind of taken off when you you know when you went over? Yeah, the, absolutely. The like the the the, the oh my god, what does my dad think or what does my brother's think or what does the school think or am I making the team? That was all gone. It was all gone. It was just like I'm gonna have a laugh, and some of it was good, some of it was bad. Some of it would piss off my teammates, and some of it would be great. You know what I mean? It's just. You played with like actual fun, you know, which is um, and it is important. And, and says the guy that then went on to found a professional rugby team and make it not fun for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always I find it interesting, you know, for people that you say leave Ireland and go over to to America. Um, what was the hardest thing? Can you remember? Um, you find what was the challenge? The main challenge you faced when you moved to New York. We say in the first couple of six months, settling in. Yeah, I, I was I was very lucky. Um, um, the my best friend at the time, still well, Fergie, you're still my best friend. Um, so uh, the, the cabin man that they brought me over here, um, he, he put me. He, I fell into a group of people pretty quickly, and um, I didn't really miss anything. 
like I, I fell in here too quickly. Like, remember, I, I didn't come over here to play sports, and I, and I didn't play sports for for pure when I was here. But I, I would say so. So that question wouldn't apply to me. But if you're talking about say a rugby player now, like Will Leonard coming out from Shannon as yeah. he has done, is is it's the size of the place. I, 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 I cause it's the same reaction every time. It's like they, they're just a sheer. I, I remember a lad saying to me, like, oh, Jesus, it wasn't Will, it was another guy. It was actually a guy from South Carolina. He's like, I, I need a car. You got to get me a car. I was like, I said, Matty, you're crazy. It's, you got your house in Harlem. Like, there's no fucking parking. <laughs> it's like, we're not going to get you a car. We'll get you a subway ticket. And because he'd never, he didn't understand the size of the place. Like, it's just like the size of the place gets people every time. Like, the, you know, they, they visit, a lot of them have actually been here before and they've been to London before, but it's different visiting London or Paris and living in London or Paris. You know what I mean? It's like, because then you have, suddenly have to go, how do I get from this end of the city to that end of the city? And it's just, that's the thing that gets them. It, it, it just floors them every time. Even, even Bastow when he came out, it's like the, the fucking, and he's a guy himself, but the size, it's just like, it's so much to take on. It's, a, it's, a, it's, no, and we said internally, uh, uh, you know, after the first season, it was like, okay, well, and Bastow was already signed at this point, but it's like two-year contracts minimum because it takes people a year just to, the things that we take for granted, you know what I mean? Like just, uh, just getting on a subway and going someplace, like, like, they're like, oh, can I get a car service to see the physiotherapist? It's like, you can, but it'll take two hours, but if you get on the subway, you'll be there in 20 minutes. You know, so it's like adjustments. We like, like, it's like you might think here's the subway ticket. Just take the subway. You know, it's like you know, and 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 they all get street smart at the end. And like, it's it's same years in a row. It's like they're like, wow, oh my god, this is terrible. It can't be on the subway all the time. I need a car, and it, then it becomes, oh, they're telling me how to take the subway and what the best way to go is and how to get there faster. And it's so it's it's a very Intimidating city. I, I think, I think for for an Irish person, we're we're lucky because there's so many Irish here, and we are perceived as a, 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 we're positive immigrants. You know, I mean, does someone's? I keep on saying stuff like this, but like a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a person who, during the course of the conversation, went to say that how she didn't like immigrants and how immigrants were ruining her country, and I had to point out that I'm an immigrant. And I, and I said to this person, I said, we've already covered this. You asked me where I was from. Um, we, we, not your kind of immigrant. I was like, so I was like, I had to ask, I was like, so you mean not the white kind of immigrant? She's like, no, 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 just that you're from Europe. I was like, so that's the white kind of immigrant. No, 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 you're from Europe. It's like, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of racism out here. You know, I mean, and and and, and uh, I think there's a lot of racism everywhere, but it's and um, so being Irish and being white, we're pretty fucking lucky. You know, what I mean, yeah. and we're so lucky that we're Irish, you know, because I, I don't know, we know we all we can theorize why the Irish are loved, and we're, we're loved a lot, like the Scottish, and a lot. We don't, we haven't invaded anybody, we haven't persecuted anybody. We wanted to. <laughs> <laughs>
it's not for a want of desire. <laughs> Weird. But but um yeah, but like it, being Irish in, in New York is it's 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 a is is makes life a lot easier um compared to how it could be. Sorry, it's a long answer. Perfect. Hmm. And uh, when did uh, your own construction company come on board? You were saying 2012-13. Um, how, how difficult was it to get a portfolio of work? Had you already a, a portfolio of clients built up? It, it, was actually, it was actually pretty easy because I, if you can go back a couple of years, I'm, I was working for a medical construction company um, as a project manager, uh, a great company, uh, Empire General Contracting, a great, great outfit, great owner. And, um, and it was good because that was the recession. That was the, the last recession, right? And it worked right through that. And then as we were coming out of recession, we presented opportunities to work in the office space, which is way higher margins. And, um, and my employer said like he wasn't interested in that like medical was his thing and i was like okay well terry i'm, I'm gonna leave and give this a shot and i knew a couple of people and it, it, i knew i could make the numbers work i knew some people and they were in the business they could give out contracts and it was just like i could make the numbers work i, I could make it work that the subcontractors were paid well that they would make money to that the clients would make money, that the clients would be satisfied, and that I had a little bit to make for myself. So it wasn't about I'm going to get, I'm going to be a billionaire tomorrow. It was about like I've got a couple of clients, I'm going to treat them real well and see where it goes. You know, and the, I've never had the ambition, and this, and this, I don't know if this is 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 good for the podcast or not, but. It's never been, I want to be the biggest contractor in New York. It's never been, I want to be the largest contractor in New York. It's been, I want to be independent. That's, 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 it's as simple as that. So, which, which is probably not the best motivation in New York, but like, um, it's, it's why I'm, I'm prone to do startups. It's why I'm prone to do, invest in things that may or may not succeed. And like, how many, how many successful businesses do I own not that many? How many businesses have I invested in? A lot, you know. So, so, but with the independence and the, and the, and wanting people to be independent and create businesses is something that I'm a big fan of. So, do you want to give me an overview of how an Irish guy came about? As you know, first of all, sorry, rugby in the states um, is it a big thing, or was it a big thing before, or is it just on the up at the moment? I think like you were about to ask another question as to how an Irish guy came into this situation, right? They're intertwined, so I'm going to answer the question you're going to ask and then the question you've asked at the same time. Perfect. So, so a few years ago, um, Paul Wallace reached out to me, and he's an Irish guy that played for Ireland. He actually played the Lions, really good player. He reached out to me, and he said, "Hey, James." Um, Sure, a mutual friend called John King. Uh, we heard that he, I heard that you would be interested in putting a professional rugby team in New York, and he's like, "I'd like to do one. I'd like to help you with that uh, and play in the Pro 12, what's now the Pro 14." And so, and what what that was was I'd, I'd been around rugby in New York for a few years, and I'd been sponsoring local rugby teams and 
been to a lot of events because they're really good for my business because they're high network, high network events and, and talked about Robbie and the community. And when Paul talked about this opportunity, I had two kids from Leinster um, in my office. And um, oh, sorry, two, two Irish kids in my office. And um, um, one of them had, had been in the Leinster Academy and they were interns from my construction company. And um, they had literally started that Monday. And, and I was like, I didn't really have anything for them to do, but they needed to look for me for their visas. And I was like, hey, listen, guess what happened? Uh, this guy reached out about doing a professional rugby team in New York. Can you run the, can you guys get data for me on, there was weather data, there was performance data, there was all this data that I asked them to get. And I said, I can get some of the other stuff, like Nelson surveys and stuff, because I knew people that can get me that. So I said, we'll, 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 we'll circle back in a week. So we circled back in a week, and the, the kids got me all this data about weather and showing that weather wasn't a factor and uh, performance indexes and this, that, and the other. And, and I'd gone through Nielsen and, and these other data companies, I, um, the number of rugby players, uh, the number of expats uh, in New York, the number of former old clean expats, and these were number, all in the millions. Like, it was like, my God, like, there's a lot of rugby. In New I, like, simple thing, like, the number of clubs in the New York area was 289. I only played for one club. And I only was only over the clubs I played, which was eight or the same eight clubs every year, seven clubs every year. I didn't realize there was 289 other clubs in the, the area, you know? And it wasn't even close to saturated. As I said, as I said later, I discovered the Queens and they had one rugby club. Like, so I was like, oh my God. So there's, there's, there's a massive amount of players here, right? over 30,000, which is more than there is in Wales or Australia. Um, just in New York, there's a, there's a TV audience of 32 million people, and there's an expat community of almost 3 million. You know, I, what we call a tier one expat, what we call a tier one expat, Australian, New Zealand, yes. Kiwi, whatever, you know, Irish, Ireland, and France. Um, and so the market must be rife. Um, it, didn't, it didn't work out with the Pro 12 with Martin and I. Martin and I had a, had a pretty good idea, but he didn't, it, didn't, it just didn't work out. You know? and, and I worked out everybody's benefit that it didn't work out. Um, but right after the Pro 12 expansion bid didn't work out, this, um, this uh, startup league in the, in the West Coast called Major League Rugby reached out to me and said, hey, we heard you didn't do the Pro 12 thing, but maybe you'd do this thing. And the reason that they reached out to me and the reason that even Anai was talking to me was because until this point, everybody in New York, I, I didn't know this, I found out later, it's when it'd been boasted about pro rugby, I mean, said, no, not a chance because there's no facilities. Um, and I, I'd worked on a lot of college construction. I, 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 I know the city very, very well. I probably know the city well in a, way that people don't normally know the city. So I, I knew all the campuses, I knew all the facilities. I, like, I knew all the directors of those facilities. And uh, so I didn't have to hire a consultancy firm. I didn't have to do anything. I just had to call people. And so that probably in, in hindsight put me in a really good spot. So it's was like, I wasn't intimidated by the lack of facilities. I was like, we'll figure it out. You know, we'll, we'll, I, we'll just figure it out. And, and we did. And so it was, Kind of just 
you know, between uh, Wallace reaching out and and the, the Pro 12 thing, which didn't work out, and then rolling into the MLR thing, kind of just rolled in and happened and had to, you know, every time I had, you had to pass, like, it's like, oh, you have to prove this, it's like, prove that it's fine, let's go to the next level. It just kept on going. Um, and, I, and, I, and I believed in it. I, I still believe in that. I think, um, do I have the, the beautiful idealism I had two or three years ago? No, now I'm very much realism. <laughs> Having spent millions of dollars on it, I, it, it's more grounded in realism now. But, but, but it's still there. Like, like this last season, and this calendar year, we are supposed to open up four high school programs. Each of those high schools, Stuyven High School, 4,000 kids. Brooklyn Tech, 6,000 kids. You know, um, uh, St. Joe's by the Sea, 4,000 kids. With its own stadium. Its own stadium, which it was going to pay for to convert to a rugby stadium. Like, like that's the key for me, is like, we were converting high schools. You know? And, and I, just because it's the size of a city. There's 1.1 million kids in high school, public schools in New York City, right? So, and, and actually, and of the schools I mentioned, two of them are private, but, but like, so to say 2 million kids in school in New York City, we don't need 10% of them. We need 2% of them, you know? Um, so, and mostly what we need is when we get those kids is access to those facilities. Not for, not for, it's interesting, someone from randomly from The Economist, which I happen to subscribe to, but it interviewed me a year ago. I don't think it ever made the air. If it did, I never saw it. But he asked me the economics of sports and economics of rugby. And he said, what's the biggest preventer of rugby succeeding in America? It's simple. It's fields. We don't have fields. We don't have access to fields. We don't have lighting. We have 32 million people in New York State, 32.5 million people in New York State. We have two rugby fields, two. When I went, wherever I travel now, I always connect to the rugby community. So I was in Berlin almost exactly a year ago and um, I went to Berlin RFC, went to their training and I, I was appropriately late not to have to train and just have to drink, which is great. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was sitting with the guys and they're like, oh, it's terrible, you know, in Berlin, you know, we have six rugby clubs and we only have four rugby fields and, you know, and only two of them are grass and only two of them have lights and we're going to build a dome next year. And I'm like, and it's, I'm from New York, man. We don't have a single fucking rugby field. You know, not a single field. You know, <laughs> you're pitching them wondering because you've got four of them. <laughs> like, like, you know, it, it, but you know, it, it's, but also, you know, so I, I, I've, I've, I've gone off on a tender, uh, tangent here, but like, so it was a random opportunity offered by rat because I, actually, I, I, I'll peddle it back a little bit. When I set up my own company in 2012, which officially was 2013, and the first and ultimate and still the main problem is in, in New York is always staff, it's hiring people. You can only be as good as people that work for, work for you, and it's very hard to find people in this city. And um, I realized that as a project manager working for other companies, and then as as at my own company, and I was like, I used to play rugby for the Lansdowne in the Bronx, and that's like 
they're getting like 60 guys to a practice and they're, they're good guys. And, you know, if they can play sports, they can be, they can lead. And they, they have a lot of things that I would like. So I sponsored the Lansdowne rugby team, not with the idea of getting business, but getting employees. And I kind of worked out and then I started sponsoring, I sponsored the Fordham women's team. I sponsored the McCarran soccer team. So I started sponsoring sports teams to get employees and it worked. It did really work. And um, because I was putting my name on jerseys, I got started getting invited to these events, a lot of uh, British, British events and expat events around rugby and sport. And I kind of got this name for being the idiot that was spending money in rugby. But, and I explained to everybody, listen, I, I spent $10,000 sponsoring the Lansdowne rugby team. I get two employees out of that. Like, I'm winning, you know? Um, so, and that's how, you know, after a lot of these events, being this guy, John King, who was a very successful Englishman who used to play for London, London Irish, um, he was the guy that connected me with Anai and Wallace and they kind of put me down that road because we'd, we'd met uh, several events over a few years about I talked about is New York ready for professional rugby? Is it not ready for professional rugby? Or is the world ready for New York to be ready? You know, because we realized it would need a lot to, like, like foreign direct investment, basically. A lot, a lot of money would have to be put in before any money would come out, you know? So like, it wasn't like, a, hey, let's build this and let's just turn the spriggan on. It was going to be like, let's build this and then keep on building this, you know? So it's a good thing. It's, it's a legacy thing. And it's, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome because New York is going to have a long-lasting professional rugby team and it's going to be a big player internationally over time you know and, and watching and I got I, I've, I've been so lucky like I like I got to spend time at, 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 at La Rochelle which was the best run club I've ever seen to 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 Wasps but at the time I know they're doing well now at the time they were doing really badly and great Irish owner um, you know, onto you know, London Irish and, and Bristol and Saracens and you, you name it. Like, I've, I've been very lucky that I've been able to be like saying that you're the owner of a team in New York opens a lot of doors, and it's been very interesting and insightful, you know. And I've learned a lot, I've actually learned a lot from, from Saracens, I would say, and from La Rochelle, but Saracens probably more than any other club, you know. So but, but um, yeah, so it's, yeah, <laughs> never seen that in your friend. And, and how, like, how do you get investors or foreign direct investors, as you referred to there, how do you get them to buy into your idea? I see there that you had JBL, a former, former wrestler in the WWE. Um, he actually caught my eye, I remember hearing his name years ago. How did you get people to buy into the idea? Well, a lot of it was like um, people out there like representing me, you know, because they get a share of the a fee, a broker's fee, which is a healthy trade. Um, but, you know, people are looking for opportunity. Like you're talking about, I guess like, you're talking about selling, like selling the idea of access to the New York market. So, so the first people I talked to were the La Rochelle's and the Bristol's and existing rugby clubs with money behind them. You know, as opposed to no offense to to, to Ireland or, or some of the other clubs, but like no no offense to certain clubs, but like money, like Lavishaw was very interesting because Lavishaw was founded by a New Yorker, 
So it's like, um, so uh, African American New Yorker founded that club in 1894. So I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. So um, let's talk to them, and they were very receptive. And um, then, because we were in France, then they talked about a bunch of other France French clubs, and and then um, through a, uh, an associate in Dublin called Ken Fitzgerald, he introduced me to Steve Ransdown, talked to him, and then went on to talk to a bunch of English clubs. Um, obviously, talked to RFU and the Scottish Rugby Football Union, and so on and so forth as well. But to talk to a lot of people, I, I, it, it's how we how how I got investment. I mean, you're selling kind of goes to startups. You're not selling the product; you're selling the idea of what the product will be. You know, you're selling like owning the IP to a professional rugby club in New York when there's an existing league which has already billion billionaire investors in other clubs. And you're talking predominantly to billionaires. Um, it's like, well, who already like rugby? And they're like, well, we see that you have other billionaire investors, ergo the league might not might survive. So um, and we see what the buy-in for a new team is, so maybe this is a good market. And also there's a New York thing, right? So it's like, I want to be in New York, you know? So um, the, there was there was a lot of interest, you know, and, and a lot of, actually an awful lot of interest. And could it be more, I mean, if I were a more sophisticated person, and um, um, could it be more, but like, but I learned a lot. Is it, um, also, I'm not a guy that's ever had to raise money or, you know, whatever. So it's like, I had to learn about all that stuff as well. But so in, in that respect, then I was like, take the rugby away. It's a startup business. It's a startup, it's a startup entertainment business. How do I approach it? How do I think it? Because the rugby would get me down these rabbit holes of like thinking about rugby too much. I'm thinking about the game. I'd say, like, the game is the product. How do I sell the business? You know, how do I raise capital for the business? And I did, and, and, and I raised a lot of capital, and that, that's, that's leading to, you know, jobs and security for a lot of New Yorkers. Out of curiosity, how, like, how do you come up with the name? Or why do you, why do you like, I, I saw that some, you know, some teams are, like, you know, um, the Wolves or Sea Wolves or something like that. Why did, how do you come was, up with the name? So we hired a guy... Pretty quickly, Jeff Rayfield, who is um, who's done some of the biggest branding campaigns in the world. He's 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 in New Yorker. He's from upstate New York, and and the direction I gave him was that we already have the greatest. I'm going to apologize in advance for some what's going to sound like hubris, but we've already got the greatest brand in the world in New York. We've already got that, mm-hmm. so New York has to be in the name, and Ruby has to be in the name because we're a Ruby team. So. Using those three words give me a name that I can turn into a brand. And uh, we looked at Rugby Club near RC New York, uh, Athletic Rugby New York, various nations, but they were names of that. But they were, the, the IP, the intellectual properties, were already taken. And uh, I really wanted Rugby Club New York, RCNY, and I approached the people that owned it and offered them some money. And uh, they said no. Uh, they've since said they wish they said yes. Because it was it's a it's a rugby club in New York, and I'd offer them a lot more than money. Like 
they would become the feeder club and all this kind of stuff. And then Jeff had actually done the branding around RCNY. And when, when, when RCNY didn't work out, I was like, we were getting pretty close to launch. And I was like, well, just change that fucking, change the seat to something else. And uh, we, we, and he, in the association, like we didn't want to go with United because that's associated with soccer. We wanted something else, but, but, um, but basically RUNY was the one that came out best on the graphics. So Rugby United New York and the United thing is something that we've played on a lot since. Um, um, and then it was the players in the exhibition season that went, started calling it Rooney, which I didn't like initially, but then I was like, they could have said Rooney. So it's, <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take it as a win. Um, uh, and then the players started calling, the, the started, first of all, they started calling it Rooney, and then they started calling the Rooney Roosters, because Roosters runs at Rooney. So, so we kind of have an animal, our mascot's a rooster. Um, and, you know, so it, it's evolved. And, and there, there will be, you know, I, I know that, you know, I know my CEO is going to present a rebranding thing in the next board meeting in a couple of weeks. And I'm very interested in that because why not? Um, and they'll, they'll always, it's, it's always going to evolve, you know. That's good. And the colors, just, just to kind of finish up, the colors are the New York State colors. So it's... Um, it's uh, blue, white, and gold are the New York State colors, so the colors are easy. Um, that's why the Knicks and the Mets are the same colors uh, as we are, so um, it's all the same colors. And, uh, and the Rangers. Uh, the Rangers have red in there. I don't know why they have red in there, but, but mostly the same colors, I guess. Um, so, so they're all... And the New York State colors are from the Dutch flag, because New York, New York used, to be a, used, used to be a Dutch city. So they are the Dutch colors. Um, but and we have yet to sign a Dutch player. We should. <laughs> um, actually, that's not that's that's a lie. Actually, we had a prop to play for us last season. Johannes, we're going to have to be the second name. But he played for us. Uh, he had yeah, like three twenty-minute appearances, and um, he's a Dutch national player. Uh, so. Shit, I should have done more with that. Fuck. I, <laughs> um, I suppose, look, look, despite all plans in place, you know, when you're setting up, you know, such um, a franchise like this or a business like this, what, what are the biggest challenges do you face? You know, I suppose you, you planned so much in your head and you had people to do things, but there's always going to be unexpected things. Um, Especially you getting people... You're getting people to, to to believe, you know, it's like so many people would say no, 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 no. And, and this would apply, I guess, to a lot of things in life. But it was no ridiculous, not going to happen. You can't do it. And it wasn't based on any facts. Everybody just had assumptions because no one had done it before. It's like, oh well, it, if there was going to be a professional rugby team in New York, there would always there would already be a professional rugby team in New York. Or, um, I play club rugby at one of the top clubs and we don't even have a good venue. So you can't have a good venue. Or like, he was getting people to believe, and no, and, and no one would, you know? The players would. Like, the, the, uh, the, um, I, mean, I, I think it was just past the European thing and he's getting into a New York thing. And, and uh, I reached out to Mike Petrie and, and Seamus Kelly 
and Dylan Fawcett. Um, they did three senior players in New York at the time, and um, and we, we went to a bar. I think Dylan was there, and Mike and Seamus were there. And I just said, Mike, you've been to three World Cups, Seamus, you you've been to a World Cup, and you've played for I think you played for Saracen. I see him at the time. He's like, this is what I want to do. You're from here. You know here. You went to high school here. You know everything that's about here. And they were like, we can fucking do it. We can definitely do it. It was, so it wasn't the players. The players were like the local guys, the guys that knew the city inside out, that played rugby when they were six years old in New York City, were like, yes, we can do it. It was the guys that didn't know the city, the guys that were just here for a few years or whatever. Like, oh no, it's it's not possible. But like they didn't know like like the guys that grew up here. They didn't know like there's a training field in the Rockaways or there's a gym in the Bronx that you can use, you know. And it was patch, you know. Like and the, that first season, the exhibition season, the short season, and then the the following season where we lost the semi-final, like, like I've I've said it a lot, like and it really annoyed me at the time, and it still annoys me, is like there was no third estate because our players were training on Randall's Island in the winter, in January, and the one night it hit minus 20 with no locker rooms, no tea, no changing services, and they were getting a bus to the facility, a public bus, and no one was calling me out on it. Nobody was like, this is unacceptable. The players, even though I got into it with the player group because they, they fell out with the coaches. And I was like, you're falling out with the coaches. Who's paying everybody? And it's like that Mike Tolkien got us to the semifinal and we, lo- and we barely lost that semifinal. The lack of resources he was given is insane. You know what I mean? Like, like, like they had to, we, we had a gym in Queens. We had a PT in Manhattan. We were training in the Bronx. We, we, had, we had video sessions in downtown Manhattan because we were borrowing from Peter to give to Paul. Like it was like, uh, in, in retrospect, like I did, like we shouldn't have financially, like we shouldn't have survived that season. And Mike Culkin shouldn't have got the blame for it because he did get the blame for it being the head coach. Like the players blamed him. And I met every single player and, and said, like, me a culpa, like this is, I didn't realize. And I didn't realize how uh, that they were until I realized how wonderful that they were. Um, because I'd never founded a, or funded a rugby team before. So I didn't know, you know. For me, it was like, oh, it's just like any other business. Just run it lean and be mean. <laughs> it's like, no, that was a mistake. Um, but, you know, so I'm, I, once again, as, as you know already, I tend to jump on tangents here. But, like... <laughs> It, it, it was definitely a case of it can't be done. It just can't be done. Um, um, not like telling a thick Irish guy you can't be done, right? <laughs> um, but like, but then as you said, you talked earlier about getting money in, and you, you are selling that dream. You know, when the, when when I meet with when I met with and still meet with people about it, I, I don't lie about it. I'm, like ticket sales are terrible. Sponsorship's actually pretty good considering what we're at. TV is actually pretty good considering we had like the first season we signed a TV deal that got free rugby matches to was it, 37 million t- households. Free rugby oh. to 37. I got Brett Gosper, and fairness to Brett, the world rugby guy, he CEO of World Rugby, he did a he did a thing for me. He's like 
this is the biggest free air TV rugby deal that's ever been done in history. Because, and it was at the time, and it still is. It was like, because Robbie was going to 37 million households. In, 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 there's 37 million households in a population of over 60 million people. Um, because of our, because of free, or I mean, I had to pay for it, but like it was, it wasn't much money. And like stupid little things like that, that were like the little victories, you know, it's like, you know, or doing a subway campaign with Robbie on it, you know what I mean? In, you know, like stupid little things that, that really worked out. Um, and then, and then it became about raising money and getting people in. And I was lucky enough to get the, get bought and equities in from New Zealand, you know, a rugby group, rugby true and true. And, and, you know, they, they, they've pumped a lot of money in, you know, um, then they're, you know, it's gone from being like me, like a mom and pop to a huge corporate entity, like overnight. <laughs> but which is strange, but like they're pumping the money in, man. So you know what can you say? You know that's the, look. At least, at least it's going the right direction, and and the the facilities have come on obviously since the first season. Have yeah, we went. We, yeah, we went from having the worst facilities in the league to last season having the best facilities in the league. You know, so. Um, uh, by starting a relationship with a college, in, uh, a really nice college in Staten Island that no one knew existed, and um, so it's it just goes to show you know it can be done right, and then and that was like and it's not we're not reinventing the wheel like Leinster and Munster and all these clubs have partnerships and colleges for training facilities, so uh, it, it's 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 following pretty much a template, but just convincing these American schools that this is good for you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, you know, no, we're in a, a situation now with COVID that colleges don't want us on campus. I'm pretty sure that that will change by, by the new year. And if it doesn't, we have a backup plan, but it, I think it will. But you know, what Wagner College got, which is a small liberal arts college, you know, 4,000 kids, what they got was they got French TV, they got BBC, they got all these you know, they were profiled on French TV twice, you know, and American colleges make all their money from international students. That's, that's their primary earner, international students. So for international students play full whack, they, you know, each student's work 50 grand a year or so. So that's foreign TV exposure, which we didn't even approach them with. They're now like, oh my God, <laughs> you give us so much publicity in France because of Bachelorette. Uh, a little bit in Ireland and a lot in England because of Foden. Like, it doesn't sell tickets, it doesn't sell sponsorship, but then the college that we're training at turns around and says, like, we really like our high profile. Can, we pay, can you pay us less? You know? Happy days. You know, so... Dumb luck, man. Dumb luck. <laughs> Look, it, 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 it's working out. It's going the right direction. And... Um, just getting people behind you, so you, like you just said there, it, it, it's kind of work, and it just takes time. Um, I know, look, I know off air we mentioned that there's eighteen other like franchises in New York. Like, how are you finding competing against all those? Obviously, not easy. It, but. They're not. They're not competition, to be honest with you. I mean, we're too small to to be on there. I mean, we're on their radar for sure. Because like I mean, with the people in the Giants 
On the 14th, which I uh, met, oh, 16th, uh, which is uh, in two days. So I got to meet with the Giants on, on Wednesday, I guess. Um, so we're definitely, so we are on their radar. Um, I've talked to the Knicks, talked to NYCFC a lot. I like those guys. Um, talked to Red Bull a bit. So we, we talked to most of them. Um, uh, we, we, we do off-season camps in, the, in Buffalo Bills uh, Training Center. So um, keep on trying to sign Christian Wade because he's a Buffalo Bills wide receiver. Um, um, he's not biting. Um, but but um, it's not a competition. It isn't. It's such a big pop. Like, you know, 32 million people, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a big population, you know. But, but to win, to be successful, like the Jets once sucked again this weekend. I think the Giants are playing tonight. I, I think they're playing tonight. They're going to suck as well. Like, NYCFC is not good. The Red Bulls are not good. The Knicks are always terrible. The Nets have been terrible for a long time. Like, the Yankees are shit. The, you know, so on and so forth. These are billion-dollar teams that are not good. And winning, we have a window. You know, one of these teams is going to get good pretty soon. We have this small window to be the best. We have a small window to, to say we are New York. It's in our name, right? And, you know, I talk to the marketing guys and the CEO about this all the time. Like, you can't drive on a highway in New York right now without uh, the governor's words, New York tough, being pursued everywhere. Not in tougher than fucking rugby. I mean, there are tougher sports than rugby and get a football will be one of them. But like, like, but like, but right now, in this time, in this environment, it will be a good time to be good. But it's always a good time to be good, you know. And um, we would see, you know, like winning can fix a lot of things. Winning can do for more. Winning can, like you said, let's say your marketing budget is $300,000. And your playing budget is five, four, $500,000. And you say, okay, well, I can't. That's my salary gap, which is our salary gap. It's $500,000. It's tiny. But I can't do anything about my salary cap. But if I take that $300,000, which I would spend on marketing staff and ad buys and media buys, and if I take $100,000 off that, instead of spending it on marketing, I spend it on an S&C coach. So that S&C coach gets to a championship. And if he does, then it's the best $100,000 I ever spent. You know, but if that S&C coach doesn't get us to a championship, then it's, I'm, I'm just burning, I'm, I'm just piling money in a pile and just lighting it on fire. You know, so it's, 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 it's a funny, like, the business of it is, it's scientific, but it's also completely not scientific, you know? Because you, you try to hold it by standards of any other businesses, like, um, you know, KPIs and all this kind of stuff. And, and you can't, because winning changes everything, you know? Um, which is, which is also good because when, when you go and knock on the door and say, knock, knock, hey, uh, no, Ford, and Ford will not sponsor us. Ford is in major trouble. So, but it's good, to, it's good to use them as an example. Say, hey, Ford, do you want to be, because your campaign is Ford Tough. We're New York Tough. Do you want to go in front of our jerseys and say Ford New York Tough? They will say, well, we are almost bankrupt right now, so no. They would also say that New York has the lowest rate of car ownership in America, so marketing in that city doesn't make any sense to us. 
uh, so on and so forth. But they would also say that we own this other company called Argo, which is the one that's doing the automated driving. Um, they might be interested in that, and that's worth more than we are, even though we own them. You know, so the, the, and this is the interesting about having these conversations with these sponsors. It's like you have these conversations, you walk into the room. I don't walk into a room with someone saying, hey, you're the CEO of the biggest construction company in the world, or you're the CEO of the best water company, or the biggest ag science company, or the biggest this, or the biggest that, and you, you get the meetings. I'm like, I love what you're doing. Here's what I'm doing, and here's how we can help, or not. You know, and um, it's, it's pretty cool, because you get to have those conversations. Like, who the fuck thought I would be having those conversations, you know? So... Um, and there's so much synergy because, and, and, I, and I do actually literally think about the GA all the time because the GA is the ultimate community sport. It's like what people want, what sponsors want in America all the time is access to households. What that means is on T-Mobile, which is a big cell phone company over here, one of, the, one of the biggest, right? And it's like, yeah, we'll sponsor you, but like, we don't give a fuck about you or your rugby players. We want access to mothers because the mothers sign cell phone plans for kids and kids almost never leave those cell phone plans as in they're clients for life. Same as banks. So how do we get to those mothers? Through youth. So give us a youth programs. What does the GA have in abundance? Youth programs. See, it's, it's like, it's like, it's, it's, if you can figure out that, if you can figure out if, if we, and we are building, when we get to a robust rugby youth program, not just in the wealthy neighborhoods, but in the disadvantaged neighborhoods as well, like a robust, broad ranging, see 50,000 kids, U14 are playing rugby in the New York area. That's when we can knock on that door and say, listen, give us a million dollars from the Jersey. Why? Because 50,000 kids are playing our sport. That's 50,000 kids. A lot, some of our siblings, that's 35,000 mothers, air go 35,000 decision makers. Because we're in a matriarchal society. And those decision makers will decide on bank accounts, they will decide on insurance, they will decide on all these things that will last a lifetime. You know, so, and, and you, so, so we get there, then, you know, we'll be bigger than your Bristol's or your La Rochelle's because our market's bigger. And, and, and so it's getting youth aligned with everything else. It's, it's good. It's one of those things where the, what's good for the game actually aligns with what's good for the game. Like the money aligns with the social, social, social side of it as well. Social because you get a reward of it. Um, what, like, I suppose you kind of already mentioned it, but look, what, like, what is the criteria around the, uh, the MLR, around number of, like, home-based players say uh, Rooney could have like can you buy a load of foreign-based players or does it have to be an X amount so it's it's 10 players per team per franchise right so it's currently 13 franchises each team gets 10 foreign players per game day squad so and the thing about it so Dylan Fawcett uh, who you've talked to he's not a foreign player because he's US qualified he's played for the US a bunch of times right so like, like, especially our first season, we had an awful lot of, me being Irish, of course, 
and leaning a lot on Irish connections for, for, for recruitment. Uh, we had an awful lot of Irish players, but a lot of those Irish players were just qualified. Like in the, in the first season, we had Paddy Ryan, John Quill, Dylan Fawcett, Marcus Walsh. It's four. They were all US qualified. And then we had seven more Irish players on the team. So we had, like our starting team would have 11 Irish guys on it. But four or five of them were US qualified, so they wouldn't count. You know, and it, it was, it, we definitely, but you know, you, you, what, what's the famous line from the, not Silence of the Lambs, but the one after, that you covet first what you see. You know what I mean? So you know what I mean by that? Like, so you, you can only recruit what you know. You know, yeah. so like for me, like I was lucky enough to play on the same Munchens team as Jerry Flannery. So, and Jerry was the Munster coach at the time. So I called up Jerry and I was like, Jerry, I'm building a team. He's like, you're a fucking idiot. I'm like, <laughs> consistent. And I'm like, consistency is important, Jerry. I've always been an idiot. He's <laughs> like, what are the players in Munster that you should have signed? And he gave me, he gave me uh, Will Leonard and um, James Rochford. He said, oh, these guys should be playing for Munster, but they missed their window. Sign them and they'll be stars, uh, and they are stars, and they're, and they're still playing with us next year, you know. And and, and those kind of like I talked to, um, I talked to, uh, fuck me, I'm blanking again. But I, I anyway, I talked to several people and got got missed names. But but that was then. That was it was that was I hadn't hired a coach at the time. You know what I mean? It was this this Irish guy in New York saying I'm building a team, giving me a list of names. So they don't want to hire a GM and a coach and all that kind of stuff. And, and then they bring in names and, they, and it grows, you know. And, um, and so, so, it's 10 per, so it's 10 per team. But once again, I, like in our team this season, like we've signed an Argentinian guy that has a U.S. passport. We've signed a, a rookie uh, Kiwi scrum half that has a U.S. passport. Um, we have a few Irish, a few Irish guys that already have either U.S. passports or U.S. qualified. Uh, we have an English guy, Charlie Ewart, who will be U.S. qualified in November. He's a lock. He's a really good lock. Um, um, you know, so it's like we have this kind of foreign squad, but technically a lot of them are not foreign, which is a very, it's, it's, it's very much a rubby gimmick, right? You know what I mean, like. In, in, in the last World Cup, New Zealand uh, fielded eight players, and not their whole squad, but eight of the players they put on the field were not New, not New Zealanders, you know. Um, I think Ireland had five, you know, so on and so forth. It's, I call it international rugby a club sport, not a national sport, you know. Um, but, and, 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 and I'm personally torn about this because it's like, I have said I've said it on the record when I started when I started this journey. It's like I'd rather have a a New Yorker that's eighty percent as good as a hundred percent foreigner, but but then the pressure to win is so much, and then you hire coaches whose job is to win, and you can't tell these coaches like I'm hiring you to win, and if you don't win, you're fired. But by the way, you can't you can't recruit the best team possible. So it's like it's it's. It's an interesting dynamic, you know what I mean? And it's, uh, I've learned a lot about business. I've learned an awful lot about everything doing this. I've learned a lot about myself, about, about marketing, about human nature, about, about all perceptions, what, you know. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's interesting, you know. And uh, just, I suppose, um, it's kind of quite obvious, but 
our franchise and teams, they're the same thing, just the same word change interchange just use interchangeably. Yeah, so so the, the MLR Major League Rugby, we're not actual franchises. It's just a word we use, right? Well, Major League Rugby is is a company. It's a limited liability company, like a, a public limit a public limited company, right? And what what I am is I'm a member of that company. Mm-hmm. So right now there are 13 members of that company. We all own a piece of the company. There we all own a piece of the league. And I own independently my own team. Um, so it, it's completely corporate. You know, major, we copied Major League Soccer. Um, and um, uh, it, it's, it just means that, like, I'm not just coming in and buying a team. I'm, I'm invested in the league. And something we've gotten really better at in ownership, especially through COVID, is owners generating Zoom calls and saying, this is where I'm fucking up. Like, I, like I, I would tell you, it's like, New York's biggest failure is ticket sales. Our ticket sales have been a disaster. Outside of a couple of anom- anomalies, ticket sales have been catastrophic. And DC and Boston were like, well, our ticket sales were actually really good, but our sponsorship was terrible. And like, your sponsorship was really good. So what did you do on sponsorship? What did you do on ticket sales? So it's like, for the first year, that didn't happen because we were all didn't trust each other. It finally sunk in. Look, this is a business that's only going to work if we're honest. And we've had those, we're having those great conversations now. It's like, you know, Utah will say like, hey, we tried doing this youth camp thing and it didn't work out, but this thing that we discover may not work where you are, but blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we're finally starting to pool those resources. And I think that's, that's going to be massive for us in a few, it'll take a few years before it all works out, but like that we have the data that we can say that if you're in DC, this is who you are. And if you're in New York, this is who you are. And if you're in Utah and, and that's where you become really valuable to sponsors as well, right? So it's like going back to like, hey, I want to target a certain market. Well, it's like, here, here's the playbook, you know? Um, you know, and, and, you know we, we, had, we had sponsorship from Irish Tourism for our first season, right? And it wasn't a very satisfying sponsorship for either party because we didn't do anything, nor did they do anything. And I had the whole conversation. I think he spoke to you about meeting the Liberty City Council and talking about the new tourist and what the new tourist is and what New Ireland, in my opinion, could be. And um, we, had, we talked about building a campaign because the, the rugby market right now, by its very existence, is a high network market, right? It's a small market, but it's, it's wealthy. It's a private school sport, same as in Ireland, right? So they can afford to travel. So sell them a different kind of Ireland. They don't give a fuck about leprechauns. You know, <laughs> sell them sports. Sell them sports and good food, and and you'll get your money back in spades. And we you know, I think we'll re-engage when the COVID cloud clears, and probably because I want to get people down, I'll probably do a free deal with them anyway, and just say, listen, we can we have an opportunity to sell Ireland to people here. I I remember being told before by family that the rivalry between like Boston and New York is the equivalent of Cork and Kerry. Is that a rivalry happening between um, New York and Boston in, on the rugby field? I know Boston only kind of got going last year, 
What? Well, I can tell you, the first game we ever played, actually, the second game, but the first game officially game we ever played was against Boston. Not the current Boston team, but a, a different makeup of the team. It's a, it's a fake rivalry. Like, it's a real, you know what? Sorry. I hate Tom Brady. I hate the Patriots. Fucking hate Boston. You can run with that all day long. But, but I also love Boston. So when the MLR reached out to me in 2018, could it be in 2017, perhaps. I, I need to keep a track of this stuff. The first thing I said to them was like, yeah, it's great. You got this West Coast League going, but like there's no New York teams. There's no Eastern teams. So I, I met some phone calls. Talked to Boston, Toronto, Chicago, and Columbus, Ohio. I'm, I feel like I'm leaving someone out. I always do. So I said, like, listen, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Let's have a meeting. So these guys came into town. We had a meeting in Midtown, November 2017. None of us knew each other. And I was like, listen, there's this opportunity. You guys in Toronto, you're into rugby. You want to do this thing. You guys in Boston. Boston guys actually didn't show up because uh, one of their guys died the day before. So they, so they called in. And the Chicago guys came down, the Ohio guys came down. We had this big meeting. And um, it, after that meeting, the Toronto guys said, it's like, we're in if you're in. I was like, I'm in if you're in. So that's when we decided to go in. Because the conversation was literally around, we got like 160 million people in our combined TV households. We can do this on our own. Maybe we do our own league. Maybe we can go into Europe. Maybe we can just maybe do it. It was like, it was a whole day of like different things. And then we decided that, Toronto said, if you go in, I'll go in. The Toronto guys, and they backed it up. I'll tell you a story. So I went to meet Vince McMahon, the WWE, right? Early doors, right? And um, he, he, think he's, he made noise about investing, whatever, buying a rugby team. So I go up to Stanford, Connecticut, I sit down in his office. I don't meet him. I meet his daughter and his wife, Linda. And, um, and they're like sitting there. In this office, I was like, yeah, I watched rugby last night for the first time. Oh, my God, the players don't wear helmets. And I'm like, I've been hearing this all the time. So I'm like, yeah, I have this standard spiel. It's like, yeah, we don't weaponize our heads. You know, we're not it's safety first. And uh, she, she looks at me. Vince's daughter, she looks at me. She's like, she's like we're the WWE. Do you think we give a flying fuck about safety? <laughs> she didn't say flying fuck. She said, do you think we give a fuck about safety? I was like... I don't really know. I don't really watch wrestling, but I don't imagine you do. So no, we don't. You don't wear fucking helmets. You don't wear helmets. I kept on saying that. I was like, okay, listen, you're going to have to break it down for me here because I'm being kind of dumb. You keep on saying we don't wear helmets. Yes, we don't wear helmets, but you don't care about safety. I'm just, she said, we can see your faces. And she went on to say, we can see your pain. We can see your love. We can see your joy. Tell me about your players. And, and she was like, tell me who they are. Tell me where they come from. Tell me what they are. And, and it clicked for me. She was like, it's about the individuals. It's about the personal stories of these individuals. It, that's because that's, as much as I hate to go, you know, that's what they do, right? In a very extreme sense. It's like, I said, well, tell me, I said, what do you mean about my players? She said, well, like, is there anything interesting about your players? It's like, well, I remember Ray Ross Deacon, he, he was homeless in England for two years and he plays guitar and sings like an angel. It's like, we can make him a superstar, tell me something else, and so on. And I started going through the squad. I said, I'm going to earn the five. He's a star for US, should be playing in Europe. He's a golden genius, world scholar. Okay, well, you know, and, and she's, she's 
like literally sitting in the room, she's pulling these stories out of me. He's like, these are stories. People need stories. We can sell these stories to people and make this fucking super sport, blah, blah, blah. And not never come came of it, but, but that, that meeting left a huge impression on me. Because I think it was, it was maybe a month later that Foden rocked into town and he was like, hey, I want to play for you guys. And I was like, well, sure you can. But like, I, to, I told him this. I was like, but I, I, at the time, I was like, I want a team of, I know, like, I had this idea, and I still have this idea of people seeing what they think. Like, you know, I've talked to a lot of sports journalists, a lot of sports journalists, Irish and English sports journalists, and they talk about, like, how they hate rugby because basically you can write every article before the game's over because the players say nothing. They're like, it's a game that you have, could have gone either way. Uh, but Johnny, you won by 50 points. Ah, it was a blow to win. You know, the other team was good. And yeah, but you won by 50 points. Uh, yeah, but sure, it was, you know, if the, if the ball bounced out of the way in the first quarter, you know, it's like they, they're, they, no one says anything. You know what I mean? And GA's gone the same, right? It's gone, like, yeah, pretty like, much. They almost say it because they don't want it to be on the dressing room the next day, is what they say. But it's bullshit. We are also an entertainment business. You know, we are an entertainment business. As much as we don't like to admit it, we are in the business of entertaining people. You know, and uh, you know, when 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 in, in Gaelic football they started putting what, ten teams behind behind the ball, or, or ten players behind the ball, and fifteen players behind the ball, and saying, "Oh fuck it, we'll just close it down. And you can't score." They were like, "Oh, change the rules, change the rules." <laughs> it's got to. You gotta have scoring. It's the same thing. Like we gotta have inter- excitement. I'm, I'm not saying fake it. I'm not saying create excitement. But like, find the characters of players and draw them out. You know, a little bit. You know, it, it, the same journals and uh, Irish. I talked to the off the ball guys. I used to talk to them a lot. It's like they like Tyke Furlong because Tyke Furlong grew up on a farm, didn't go to D four schools. They didn't have any of that education about not what not to say. So the journalists love him because he just says whatever the fuck's on his mind. Because, because when you go to Black Rock, I mean, you didn't have the money, but you go to Black Rock and you go to any schools now, you get media education classes. Yeah. Oh. You do. You know, you get media education classes as a 13 year old. What not to say? Now, considering what Patty Jackson and the lads and, and Blaine McElroy did, you can kind of say, okay, yeah. Maybe media education classes. They probably should need more than media education classes. But like, I get it. But like, because you are going to get tra- trapped. You, t- you talked a little bit about. You mentioned Love Island earlier. So, uh, Niall O'Shea is Greg O'Shea's dad, right? So I talked to Niall O'Shea about signing Greg O'Shea a couple of years ago, and uh, didn't didn't want him. So Greg O'Shea went on and did the Love Island thing and became a star. So I was having lunch with Niall O'Shea in last October. And I was like, I said. Greg owes me a lot of money. He's like, why? He said, because you know, I could have signed him and he would have been nobody. But now he's a he's a star. But anyway, we went on to talk about we went on to talk about his son's fame and how that he can't leave the house, he can't go to the pub, he can only go to certain nightclubs with certain bouncers. Um, turns out that his sister used to manage models in Dublin, so she was and she was at the lunch with me. She was like, yeah, it's like. It's like he didn't get it at the start. He didn't fucking get it. He was just—he was a celebrity, so he doesn't go in the piss. And and women were, yeah. Like, oh, here, you know. So it's like, 
there's a and that would happen for footballers and, and hurlers and all this kind of stuff like it's just like on a ver- on every level right so you have to be so careful so you're asking so i'm speaking on both sides of the mountain saying i want people to be more engaging and enjoyable and and accessible but understanding that as soon as they are people will take advantage of it right yeah. you know sorry um no, definitely. That's that's definitely a, bit, uh, a good point because it's definitely a fine line, um, and that's where a lot of rugby people and, and no GA people they don't know where that fine line is. You know, they're afraid if they say too much, they cross that line and only opens up for either abuse or influx of uh, attention. Yeah, I, I think like as well, like there's not enough. You talk, I, I talked about like Black Rock doing like media, what they call media studies, which is basically media training. When, when Shane McGrath uh, starts making the temporary uh, panel, what, what's his media training, you know? It's like, Shane, you, you can't be taking the old shirt off in, the, in Ryan's pub in Newport anymore. It's like, but I love taking my shirt off in Ryan's pub in Newport. No, you just can't do it anymore. It's like, but I love it. <laughs> you know, but it's like, but it's a, it, I, well, I think the lads are smarter now than they were. Like, cause, like I think there was a there was a generation there that was kind of cusping, cusping different medias, I guess. But so lads are probably smarter. Um, and the, I think I think in Ireland, especially when you come to the GA and, and when it comes to the parish base, you're you trust your circle more. Like your circle is your circle. Like you you grew up with them. Like it's there's not many blow-ins. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, no. I mean, maybe in, maybe in Dublin and whatnot, but like, there's not many blow-ins, right? So it's it it, it closes loop pretty good. So, but yeah, sorry. Just, just um, no, no, grand. Uh, just I suppose one thing I came across there that the US rugby um announced that they're progressing towards making a bid to the, for the rugby World Cup. You know, probably a cup well down the line. Do you think that's what rugby in America needs now? Absolutely. I think um, I've, I've always thought it. Like, the US needs... The point of difference of rugby than American football or, or baseball primarily, and, and basketball to an extent, is that it's an international sport, right? And the US needs, it needs its Moscow 1970, I think it was 1970, uh, moment where the US beats some legitimately like fucking beats them uh, americans love this sport I've, I've been around enough of america and played enough rugby in america and they love this sport they do love this sport they don't understand it it's full of european accents which is a problem in commentary and media wise specifically um but th- when they see it they love it um i've been a big proponent of america bidding for the world cup i want them, I, I want them to get it in 2027 they're, they're, we're going for 2031 when they're saying Australia's going to get in 2027, my, 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 my hesitancy against that is that Russia is also going for 2031 and Vili uh, um, the Russian captain, who is basically Irish, an Irish guy, um, I've talked to him about it. He's like, Russia's all in. Like, we're going for this. We're, we're 100% going for this. I, I was trying to sign him. I tried to sign him last year. I'm trying to sign him this year. Um, he, he played for Ireland underage, actually. Um, 
Um, he's a fucking great player. Great player. Uh, should have played. Should have played for Leinster, but then they disqualified him um, for as, as they, they took his archer's ability away. Um, like Russia is going all in. Like Vladimir Putin is like rubby, rubby, rubby. I'm in. I'm gonna spend everything. Uh, Australia is going all in for 2027. And Australia would have been like not a chance because of Twiggy Forest, but like now Twiggy Forest. The Twiggy Forest set up a separate rugby code. He's an Australian billionaire who owns Western Force. Now he's back in the fold. World Rugby needs Australia to be okay, so they might push the World Cup to Australia. I think it's a mistake. Argentina is pulled out. Argentina would have been a really, really good World Cup host. Um, so there's like a vacuum in 27. The USA and Russia are going for 31. And there's other teams as well, other countries as well. But it'll, it'll come, it, USA will get it. USA should get it in 27 if, if it was just an economics thing. Um, World Rugby has already said that they were, they'd be willing to move the time, work with the schedule. And a lot of NFL owners have already said they would work with it as well. Like this is... These are conversations that have been going on for two years. Some of, them, some, some of which early I was in, I'm not in anymore. But like, the Rugby World Cup will come to the US in year 27 or 31. Um, it's with, with the, beneficial, definitely. It's going to be massive. It's going to, like, you, you know, like, if, if it, the Olympics is coming here, the Soccer World Cup is coming here. Like, they know how to make money, you know? And it's, it's fucking money. That we're, we're talking about money, you know what I mean? Like, Royal Ruby said, oh, we made half a billion dollars off the Japan, you know? It's like, that's great. They're probably lying. They probably made $100 million, but they still made $100 million. You know what I mean? It's like, so it's, it's fucking money. And it, the thing... As my contemporaries say to me, it's like the thing for 31 is that it gives us more of a, of a runway to be a better national team. Because if America rocks out onto a field and smashes up against, not beats a second tired Scotland, the time you beat Scotland, but smashes up against Ireland and loses by five points. That's that's and Robbie's 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 great. Robbie's Robbie's in America. Robbie's in America, and Robbie's going to be picked up by a thousand high schools the next next day. Like that's the impact. It's like our little impact in Europe. Four high schools call me up and say like, "Oh, we've seen the sport. We want your program in our high schools, and we have money." You know, mm -hmm. it's like it, it's it's there's that sweet spot of all sports. Soccer, GA, rugby, of not knowing the rules, but just enjoying the spectacle. And then you get to know the rules, and then you just have to get annoyed. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> come on, ref! <laughs> Before we, we wrap it up there, James, I was just saying, I was supposed to bring it back to the start again. Um, you were saying that it was probably too early to, to have Rooney in the Pro 12 slash Pro 14, and it worked out well in the end. At the you know probably it was early early days. Do you see Rooney in fourteen down the line? 
it's 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 always an option. I think when 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 we when we ran the numbers, um, it only made sense. The, the weather w- was a major concern. The weather was not an issue at the time. We ran historical data, and and it was great. And the, if what we said was, if the at that current Pro Twelve schedule uh, going back twenty years. Uh, by 11 games, only one game would have been cancelled. You know, so, you know, which which is statistically the same as playing in Dublin. Yeah. You know, so, um, so, so, what are, so logistics, yes, we can definitely play in Europe. Um, I would say that it would only make sense uh, pause that and say, look at um, the w- Toronto Wolf Factor Rugby League team that has failed in Toronto, um, um, and they failed really badly. And, I, and I've talked to the uh, Rick Welby, who's putting a rugby league team in York, and he, what he's saying is is great. And I I'm actually a big fan of rugby league, and I think if what he's saying happens, they'll have a rugby league team in, in New York, and, and I'd be a big supporter of it, and I, I'd be proponent of sharing resources and so on and so forth. Uh, um, because a lot of a lot of the U.S. players actually play play league as as much as they play union. Um, but but like, but just to put a team in Europe, you need two teams. So like basically, so if Munster come to New York, Munster need to come to New York and someplace else. Otherwise. The cost of it is is too much too much to bear. Going to Europe is not a big deal. It's five and a half hour flight. Uh, as long as you can do two like trips, it, is you. It, it hasn't worked with the South Africans, you know. But that's a whole other story. I mean, I can talk about that all day long. But like, but it also Americans don't like. They like American championships. They don't like. They like the Ryder Cup, but outside that, they don't like American champ. There's no appetite for it. I don't see an appetite. I don't see like we can say to uh, the Pro 12 or the EPRC or whatever it is, you can say, "Oh, look at 30 million TV households." It's like the Italian said, "80 million TV households." Let Italy into six nations. We've got 80 million TV households. Say, yeah, but no one below. Rome watches rugby, so you really have 20 million, t- 30 million TV households, and then of those only, you know, you know, I mean, like, yeah, it, they're fake, like numbers. What is it? Uh, lies, lies in statistics, or something like that. But, um, or statistics, is more. yeah, um, I, I, I think like the idea of a New York team playing in Europe would be great, and like. Like what I would like to see is the winner of the MLR getting the Challenge Cup. You know, just getting the Challenge Cup and see, see, let's just see, let's see, let's see if we're competitive. You know what I mean? And and if you have a San Diego or a New York, a San Diego playing in Battle Battle of Vostok, you know, but but like, but if if you do, you do, and and maybe there's some merit in that. Like one one of the things. Um, I also kicked around early was um was um so I went to uh, Paris and I went to London and I went to all these places and I, I talked to these team owners about 
being a partner with New York, um, I'm, I'm, as you can tell, I'm a hubristic prick. And um, the, the, so I, I meet the Saracens. I meet um, uh, Lucy Ray, uh, Lucy Ray, Nigel's daughter, who runs Saracens at the time. So when I meet Saris, it, going, you know, walk around, you know, I know Jim Hamilton and a few of the guys, I know I saw him, blah, 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 having a banter, go up to the conference room, sit down, Lucy's there. And he's like, hey, James, how you doing? Thanks for coming here. Blah, 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 blah. I said, Lucy, before you say anything, I just want to say, I'm not, I don't want a partnership with you. Say what? I said, I don't want a partnership with the Saracens. He said, I'm here to learn how you do your business and I'll share you how I'm proposing for my business. Uh, but I don't want any misunderstanding because I've had misunderstandings in the past with the routines, which is true. This is everything I'm saying is almost verbatim. And she said, why don't you want a partnership with us? It's like, because you got the stupidest fucking name I've ever heard of. You're called a Saracen. Like, you've been to New York and, and Philly. You've been to the U.S. twice. I've been to both your games. No one knows who the fuck you are. No one knows if you're a rugby team. Or you're a bunch of Turks chasing down the highway. No one knows who the fuck you are. You're, you're a London team with, full of London rugby players, but no one knows that. And it's ridiculous, so I'm not going to do a partnership with you. You know, you change your name to London, New York will play London. I said, I want to play London, you know, as I want to play Berlin, as I want to play all these national teams, but I don't want to play Saracens. And she was like, you're a fucking prick. I was like, I am. You're a fucking prick. And she, and she laughed at me and said, you're dead right. And she turned up, she jumped up her laptop, and she's like, this is our new marketing campaign. And it was this whole video, which in the obviously it was the recognition but it was about Mario Tojo being from London and all these players being from London and a quarter squad of their starting 15, 14 of them are born in London. And I was like, and, and we've got name change planned. It's like, and I was like, see, no, see, I'm not such a, see, no, you're still a prick, but like, this is it. So, so we, we had a great meeting and then we, and then we went and got fucking sloshed, but like, but then what happened happened, right? And and the Saracens, by the way, their biggest driver, their biggest their biggest income driver right now is their e-gaming. They have the biggest e-gaming platform in England. Uh, it's Lucy's husband runs it, and it's like they all, they're also building a private school. And like, like, when when you meet these clubs, you're not meeting like in America. You're like, oh well, here's all the shiny things. When you go to England and France, England specifically, they're like. Here's everything we do wrong. <laughs> Here's the things the tax men don't know about. Like they tell you everything. It's, they're fucking amazing. Like they literally tell you everything. They're like, wow. You know. They're like, you're not working for the government, right? He's like, no, no, I have a US passport. It's like, okay. <laughs> but it's and the French are the same. The French are very the, the Irish are terrible. They're sure like, everything's great. Can't you anything? Can't you anything? But I don't know how that's made. Where do you get your t-shirts from? We don't have t-shirts. Who told you had t-shirts? We don't have t-shirts. <laughs> Jimmy, did you tell him we had t-shirts? We don't have fucking t-shirts. Go down that window. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And look, I'll I'll wrap it up there. And uh, I'll just stop recording on a few minutes. Look, James, thanks very much for coming on Inside View Podcast. And best look with everything going forward. Thanks, man. Thanks. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with James. Uh, such an incredible insight into his his career. Uh, you know, from 
leaving Ireland over 20 years ago to where he is now. You know, invests in a number of startups, a uh, number of companies, and owns Rugby United New York, um, and is one of the founding members of the MLR over there. Um, such an uh, inspiring journey, really, to be honest about it, you know, for, for Tipperary men. Um, and look, I'd like to take this opportunity again to, you know, to thank him for taking time out to, you know, to come on into the new podcast. Um, and if that's all from us this week, please do get in contact with the show. If you want to contribute in any way possible, uh, follow us on our social media channels. Instagram is at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. And over on Twitter, it's at we are on the ball two. That is digit two. And look, a big shout out to our sponsors, GRG Sports. Um, without you guys, you know, it wouldn't be be possible with the support um you're giving us on a weekly basis um and we will be running a competition as well over the next couple of weeks um more information to be revealed uh, about that that's all from us this week on this week's episode um and next week we'll have another exciting guest so please be sure to tune in again as well next week till then Please do stay safe and remember, cred on fame. Talk to you all soon and thank you very much again for listening.